You're listening to the New Stack Makers, a podcast made for people who develop, deploy, and manage at scale software. For more conversations and articles, go to thenewstack.io. All right, now on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Stack Makers. I'm your host, Heather Joslin, Features Editor of TNS. And today we're going to take a deep dive into the importance of vector databases and vector search for developers. Relational databases have served us well for a long time, but they have limitations when it comes to handling unstructured data, such as text, images, and voice, which form the majority of the data generated today. In our discussion today, we will talk with three guests, all noted technologists, who are here to explain what makes vector databases useful, what advances have come into the space, and how these early users are solving big problems for the generation ahead. What are those problems, and how is the work done by each of today's guests making the experience better for developers? Joining us, we have Frank Liu. Frank, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Frank, officially Director of Operations, ML Architect here at Zillas. I've been in and around machine learning for probably the better part of eight or nine years at this point. So, yeah, really looking forward to this conversation. Great. And we're also joined by Yuri Malkoff. Yuri, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Hi, yeah, my, my name is Yuri Malkov. So I, I worked as a distinguished engineer at Verse Innovation, so one, one of the largest social media companies in India. Uh, also, I'm known as the author of HNSW, a popular algorithm for nearest neighbor search. Great. And welcome. And, and also, we're joined by Nils Ramos. Nils, you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Great, yeah. So my, my background is a bit different when, while Frank and Jerry mostly focus on vector databases, how to store these vectors efficiently. I have been focusing for the past six years, like how to create these vectors and make them like, yeah, meaningful. So, so really bring meaning to this. And this is also what currently do at Cohere. So we're focusing a lot on enterprise use cases. How can you take your data? bring it to a vector space so that the vector space has a meaning for your application and use case. And yeah, partnering with vector databases like Movis to store these sometimes like billions, tens of billions of vectors in like a really efficient format. Great. Well, thank you for joining us, all of you. And let's jump in. First question goes to Frank, although each of you should feel free to jump in after he answers. What are these complex data types developers are encountering and what makes a vector database effective in, in dealing with them? Yeah, I'll sort of chime in on that first there. When it comes to vector databases, you know, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, a lot of it has to do with unstructured data. But today we're actually seeing a lot of use cases in and around uh, LLMs as well. Uh, and particularly, you know, I try to stay in pretty close touch with some of the folks in the Movis community, Movis obviously being the vector database uh, that's what we built here. And the it's I think it's pretty amazing to see the growth that we've seen just uh, in NLP. So whereas probably I would say uh, maybe a good 50% of our users were, you know, probably a good 50, 50 of, uh, of our users were doing computer vision NLP applications maybe about a year ago or two years ago. I think we've definitely seen a surge in the amount of folks who want to do semantic text search and want to build retrievers for LLMs, right? But really any type of data that you would find difficult to store in a relational database or in a document database, it's really a great candidate for storage, search and indexing inside of a vector database, right? 
Nils, what what is your view about about LLMs? Those who've been living under a rock the last few months and don't know <laughs> what that stands for, large language models, and uh, and vector search. Yes, so, so LLMs are really really interesting, really promising technology. We saw like a lot of high school students students picking up like on their homework, asking questions like, "Hey, can you write me a school essay about the French Revolution?" And then you get this this output in an enterprise setting. You're totally not that much interested on like an essay and overview of the French Revolution, but you want to have an understanding like, okay, what are the concerns of our customers? Um, which products do they like? Which product do they dislike? Hey, what did I discuss with this client? What does we, did we agree on like in this POC? And here, luckily, generative models out of the box can't answer this. So, so if you go to like any generative model, happily, they don't have this data yet. And here, vector databases is a great solution. So you hook them up, the generative model with the vector database. In the vector database, you put all your data from your customer uh, interaction, and then you can ask questions like, okay, which products did we discuss the most with customers this month? Uh, what are the main questions they had? What are the main concerns? What do our customers think about pricing? And then the model can access your data, understand your data, and give you like a roadmap, a summary, an email you send to your boss with this information. For developers specifically, I want to explore why is vector search important? What what might be some of the most common use cases, especially in enterprises? Are the, you, you mentioned being able to surface that information about, about customer behavior, but are there other things that specifically a developer might be looking for? Yes. So, so even before LMs, they have been quite successful, useful for I don't know, the past 10 years, but definitely got a lot of attention recently was LMs. Uh, big use cases first to search, like how to find information, like in Google. Second big use case is recommendation. If you enjoy the show of the podcast, which other shows are interesting for you, or you search for people, like let's say on Facebook, like which other people have common interest you, you could match with. Copyright protection infringement is also has been a big use case as social media companies like Facebook. They have pioneered a lot of work. So any media uh, you upload to Facebook, they create like a vector and then they check to like copyrighted vectors like music, uh, movies, images that are copyrighted and then compare, okay, do you do like some copyright infringements so they can act on this. So, so there are a lot, lot of use cases on vectors. It's a bit hard to understand them because it's not so intuitive, like thinking in, in a 700 dimensional space. But once you're understand the basics. There are like so many use cases. How is vector search highly effective for retrieving relevant information from large data sets, especially how, why is it suited for unstructured data? Can you, someone walk me through why it's, why it's an improvement over, over relational databases? I don't know if Yuri, if you want to jump in or, or, or Frank. Well, in the relational databases, uh, I don't think there is a concept of similarity. So you cannot find similar objects directly. So you have to embed it in a vector space and nearest neighbor taken vector spaces will the lateral way of like extracting similarity. So when the with relational databases, so they are based on exact match, so or ordered data. So that's a different 
type of data. Yeah, a challenge was this exact match and search. You, you don't often don't have exact match. So we all know keyword search. We all know it's really painful. If you ask a simple question, what's the capital of the United States? And you go to Wikipedia and they run like some yeah traditional database in the background. Top one document retrieve is capital punishment in the United States because it contains the word United States and capital quite often. But the article about Washington, D.C. is not retrieved because, yeah, Washington, D.C. and capital of the United States in an exact match, there's like no, no exact match. Like on like character to character basis, it's different. But by the vectors, we know capital of the United States, this refers to Washington, D.C. Hence, we can find the information about Washington, D.C., even such that the user doesn't know this. And this is like really critical in search. So in search, Often we don't know it, so we ask the question, what's the capital of the United States? Because we don't know the answer, and so we can't type in the right keyword. You're, you mentioned the nearest neighbor. Can you can you explain what is meant by the, the approximate nearest neighbor? Well, the basic uh, nearest neighbor search uh, problem is, uh, so you have a query, like a document, and you want to find similar case similar documents so the the major assumption is that you care only for a small portion of the documents from your databases so this is nearest neighbor search and that assumes that you maximize some similarity between your query and documents and approximate nearest neighbor search is when you relax the condition that your results have to be exact and uh, by relaxing this condition you allow to skip some of the computations uh, and thus uh, have higher efficiency at like minimal loss of, of the needed metric. So it's a trade-off between accuracy and speed. So that's why it is approximate. And usually, like in practice, most of the exact nearest neighbor search algorithms, they don't perform well. What do developers need to understand in order to be effective at vector search? What, what are some of the skills that they should have? Maybe we go back to Frank for this. Sure, yeah. When it comes to being effective at vector search, I think the the first thing to understand is the scale and the requirements of your application. So you know, oftentimes, you know, we have folks who ask, hey, you know, what is the right, there's a lot of different solutions out there, uh, open source solutions, a lot of different local libraries. What is the right solution for me to be able to deploy and develop my application in top vector search, right? And, I think the answer really depends very much on what you're trying to go for. And uh, oftentimes I say, hey, look, if all you want to do is do vector search, you want to do it locally, you don't have a very, very large data set, something like Facebook ASML Research, F-A-I-S-S, for folks who aren't familiar with that, is, is a great option. You probably don't want to move to something distributed or something that you can stand up as a, you know, as a standalone service or in cluster mode, something like Novus, right? And the second thing that I would encourage folks to, to really understand is, you know, go and read or, you know, listen to other podcasts as well. Uh, there's a lot of great ones from the new stack, of course. Uh, but, you know, go read and go listen to some of the other content about, you know, it talks about some of these indexing strategies, um, like Yuri's HNSW, for, for example, right? And that will really help you understand, I think, A, what information is captured inside of these vectors, what information is captured inside of these latent spaces, uh, but also equally as important, you know, why vector search is hard, right? And, you know, what are some of the parameters that you have to tune? What are the different things that you have to tweak to be able to get the best performance that you want? 
to be able to get whatever is really, really optimal for your application. So I know I sort of talked about a couple of different things there, but really, if we're going to boil it down, the first is, hey, just understand what your application requirements are and be dive a little bit into some of these different indexing strategies and understand a little bit about vector search and about vector databases as well. Just want to back up a little bit. I think we're want to make sure we give a plug for for Yuri's algorithm. Yeah, sure. The the HNSW algorithm is a graph based algorithm for nearest neighbor search. So it has yeah some. It's an evolution of the graph algorithms, and uh, like it has some good features. Like it's incremental. It supports deletions and updates. So it works with any distant space. So it's not doesn't have to be vectors. It can be like any object with uh, distance similarity. And uh, it can scale with uh, logarithmic complexity. So if the data has is low enough dimensionality. So it is a simple and I think pretty flexible algorithm that people use. Yeah, and I, I just want to say one thing as well, uh, and it's awesome to have Gary on this podcast with us, is that HNSW is probably, you know, at least from the movie side of things, and I imagine it's the same for other vector databases. Well, HNSW is probably the most commonly used indexing strategy for vectors today. I think uh, maybe some of the other alternatives would be product quantization, or there are a lot of disk-based ones as well, disk ANN, span. But I think sort of by and large, HNSW remains the most popular. So I uh, just wanted to add that little tidbit right there. Yeah, and we'll link to some more information about HNSW in the article that goes with this this podcast. What is the quality for the, of the overall tooling for extracting data into this vector environment from an LLM? Yeah, and you know, Niels, here, I'd love to get your guys' opinion on this as well. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to say that a lot of vectorization, if you are familiar with ML uh, or if you're familiar with how models work, not necessarily very, very, you know, not necessarily very, very deep, but at a very high level, I think you have a good understanding of what the best vectorization strategies are for you. So, you know, a lot of, again, going to plug something that Neil's really co-created as well. A lot of our users use sentence transformers, the library, and they use it in conjunction with Movis, but that's simply because they understand, hey, you know, what is, what is the best model for helping me build these retrievers, uh, especially in conjunction with the LMs, right? Um, but I would say that when it comes to vectorization, uh, when it comes to libraries for vectorization, I think there's still a bit of a gap, uh, especially if you're less familiar with ML. And there's no real tool just yet to help you vectorize, let's say, you know, for example, to do automatic vectorization, if you have a corpus of, uh, let's say, financial documents, or you have a corpus of you know, documents that are really internal and, and relevant to your organization in particular. Uh, so I think it is an area that maybe eventually we can improve on, uh, but I'd love to get you know some other opinions about that as well. Yeah, happy to comment on that. So the challenge is is totally there's not like the one perfect vectorization. So it can't be even if we spend like billions of dollars, we can't create like one embedding model that's perfect for because the task itself, yet yeah, it's, it's not consistent, changing for for users. Uh, changing on applications and tasks. So in the vector space, we encode what do we consider in the world as similar? What do we consider as dissimilar? And you can have something like, I don't know, this this movie, the new whatever movie movie was great. Another feedback was like, this movie was terrible. 
if you do clustering and you want to see, okay, what do your users think about your, 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 your movies? You want to have these like as really dissimilar. You say, okay, if someone writes like, this is great, this is terrible. It's like really dissimilar. However, in search, if you search like a review, like a review for iPhone, you don't want to totally bias towards like one sentiment. So, so you want to retrieve people say, Hey, the new iPhone is great. Or, and other people like saying this new iPhone is terrible. So in the search setting, you want to have like these two points really close, even such they mean the different thing because your application is different. Your application is search, but if your application is clustering, um, it's different. And so it's like, again, with, with e-commerce, we see a lot of use cases. So like what products are considered as similar? Is it products you often buy together? Is it like replacement products? Like, I don't know, one belt and you can replace it with another black leather belt. Or if you already bought like a black leather belt, you totally want to see things you can add, like not like 10 other black leather belts, but like shoes, pants, and so on. So big challenge for users to get into the field is like understanding what should be similar, what should be considered similar, which heavily depends on your data and your task. And then the big challenge is like, how do you get this? So, so in e-commerce, how do you get what's similar? So, so you understand like, okay, what are replacement products? What are additional products, upsell products? And how do you get this data and can encode it in the vector space? And so, so that's a big challenge. Another big challenge is understanding which data can you vectorize. So, so vectors, they run into quite quickly into challenges. So let's say financial data, you have like big Excel sheets with revenue numbers. Uh, from different companies would be like really terrible to, to, to vectorize this as a big one Excel sheet. So because you have like multiple fields have different meanings where you have like revenue for company ABC and a profit for company ABC. And then the question, okay, you have another Excel sheet with, I don't know, revenues for other companies and I don't know, number of employees for these companies. Like, like, what's the similarity here? Is it similar because both report revenue? Is it similar because both report on the same companies? Is it different because they report on like different fields, profit versus employees? And then, yeah, that's, that's totally where the challenge starts to just think about, okay, you have these complex data and then have multiple meanings. You no longer have like a really simple, similar or dissimilar relation when you need to encode like these complex relationships. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a big focus I've been working on in the past and also in career, like, like educating people in the field, what works, what doesn't work, how can you do this? How do you get training data and how to adapt really these models to your use case so that you can then yeah, efficiently and nicely serve them with a vector database using um, the HNSW algorithm. Gerd, do you have any thoughts about the current state of tooling for, for vector, vector database searches? Yeah, I agree with uh, Frank and Niels. So I think for images and text, like for gen for search, so there are there are existing tools like uh, sentence bird, sentence transformers. Like you can also use Hugging Face and embed images and text and do simple search. But when it comes to like more complicated domains, so it it is uh, much more complicated. So like how, so you have to build a, basically a recommender system so to understand what does the user want. So the user has to define some objective to optimize. That makes it a bit messy. And, I, and I'm not aware of the solutions like general. So there are startups that 
try to automate the recommender systems. So like one of them at the time known as Kumu AI. So they then you can plug their tables and they try to, well, build a graph uh, neural networks on top of it in a more generalized fashion. So it has, I think, its own limitations. So it's offline. So yeah, I think there is a gap in tooling there. So if there was a, a really good solution that would, uh, you can just plug in into a new recommender system, somebody would define an objective that will, I think, change the industry a lot because yeah, right now people has, have to hire engineers and a lot of engineers to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah I think I mean, the tooling is just not the challenge, the objective, I would say. So Spotify gave like really cool, interesting insights on this, um, on recommender systems. So they don't try to optimize for like the next click, like, like where do you click on? Because then you often go into like these clickbaits. I don't know. You can't believe what happened next, um, <laughs> which people, which people click on, um, but they are not really satisfied for the long run. So Spotify, they try to predict like long-term user satisfaction in terms of music. How does your music taste develop over the time, like over the next two years and so on? And how can you do like exploration of music you might like based on profiles? And really the objective is like really hard. So predicting the next click, that's easy, but that's like really, I don't know, people are not interested in this because then you get these, these clickbaits. But how do you model user satisfaction and like really understanding user satisfaction? You need like extremely deep understanding on your company, your market, your product, because it's really different. Is it like Spotify and you listen to music or is it like podcasts or some educational platform or e-commerce? In e-commerce, is it like, I don't know, professional tooling versus fashion? And here really understanding user satisfaction. So what's user satisfaction for a teenage girl that's 15 years old? It's just like really different than user satisfaction of a professional musician. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that though. I would mind, would, would know that that's the problem of rich companies that already have the infra to do other stuff. So if you're a small company and the, even if you want to predict clicks and do that properly, so you have to hire a male engineer. So I don't, I don't see another option to do so. And then, yeah, I agree that objective is very important, very hard to... Sorry, I just want to add one last little tidbit there. And on the topic of recommendation, I think there's a lot of... There's sort of like a bit of... I'm not going to say you know, full-blown full -blown confusion, but really when it comes to vector search and when it comes to vector databases, I think it's just one of the items that's in your tool belt, right? You know, vector databases in particular, we're not here to try to replace RDBMS. We're not here to try to replace document databases by com stores. But it's just meant to be one of the other tools and one of the other, you know, items that you can use to really help build up that application to build, you know, let's say you know, something to build something that's targeted towards user satisfaction rather than the next click. One last question for each of you. What role do you think machine learning powered vector search will play in the future? Yeah, so today I actually think there's a lot of space for machine learning to be in these vector search algorithms specifically. Uh, and I, again, Yuri, I'd love to get your take on, on, on here. But uh, I think vector search today, it's very much disjoint from the actual models. So there's a lot of, for example, you know, you'll train a model, have a very specific objective, um, you know, have a very specific loss function for 
a lot of these for for a lot of BERT like models, it's just trained on trying to understand. Uh, it's pre-trained on trying to understand context in and around every token. Uh, but this isn't necessarily, you know, while I think it ends up giving you a very very powerful representation, it might not necessarily be the most optimal. Might not necessarily give you the most optimal embedding space or latent space for vector search in particular, right? And I know Niels, you know, you we, we chatted about this a little bit before as well, but having something or having some way to be able to tie vector search directly in um, with these ML models, I think, is uh, is something that I would like to see a bit more research uh, in. I don't quite have any particular ideas of how we might be able to do that, but yeah, just my two cents there. What about you, Niels? So. Yeah, I think vectors are great representation for ML. So, so I mean, we humans, we invented like, I don't know, characters for language to, and then words. We also have like pixels for computer vision, but like pixels and characters is like terrible representation for computers to work with. So, Cause it has like absolutely no, no meaning which characters we assign. We, we see it like across languages. So if you go from English to Chinese, it looks completely different all the settings so, so it's like arbitrary setup from humans and vectors is like kind of like a universal language for computers so it's like really good for them to understand and going forward i think we see more and more of these ai and out systems that want to reason about your data like finding trends want to give like him insight say hey we see i don't know customer satisfactions customer complain about abc helping you to, to learn to educate and so it's just like yeah we, we, we store the text for the humans and we store the vector for the language model ml model ai model to work with it and reason with it so so yeah i think in the future we will see that all the data is like encoded both as as it is for the humans, but as well as a representation for the computer. Yuri? Yeah, I agree with that point. Yeah, on the topic of whether ML will come to nearest neighbor search itself, well, there, there are already papers that tried it, and uh, like there are definitely parts of like, nearest neighbor search algorithms that can benefit from ML, like early stopping or selection of parameters for index. Those indices for nearest neighbor sure those are also trained on the data so like product quantization ivf even hnsw you can say that is trained on the data and i see it more as a like a building block so there is matrix multiplication there is quantization that you can use for ml also there is nearest neighbor search so that is parsification like special parsification of the data so like I think it will have more and more ML components in it, but like, I don't think it will completely disappear. So there will still be heuristics as in other parts of the solutions. Okay. And thank you, gentlemen. That's a wrap. We want to thank our guests today, Frank Liu, Yuri Malkoff, and Nils Ramis for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. We'd like to thank Zillis for sponsoring today's episode. And we'd like to thank all of you for joining us. This has been Heather Joslin for the Newstack Makers. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community. And we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube. Search for the new stack and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us and see you soon.